This week's episode is brought to you by the film Breathe, based on an inspiring true story. USA Today proclaims Breathe could earn Andrew Garfield his second Oscar nomination. And Rolling Stone calls his turn a fierce, fully committed performance and a loving tribute to a courageous man. Learn more about this remarkable story and Andrew Garfield's performance at BleakerStreetGuilds.com. Welcome to the Bart Fleming Podcast. This is Peter Bart and Mike Fleming. Mike, this is that, that time of year when the banner on almost every movie ad says, Best Movie of the Year, and, and a well-known critic's name is affixed to it. And, and a lot of people pay attention to these ads because this is our best final shot to see the banner movies of 2017. At awards season, uh, they get their widest play. And then a couple of months, their places in the multiplex will be preempted by the next cycle of franchise pictures, which we should discuss later in the podcast. But meanwhile, Mike, what fascinates me is some of, some of the quotes of the critics reflect more imagination than the movies they describe. Like Joe Morgenstern of the Wall Street Journal, who's usually conservative, he said the shape of water was, quote, a fantasy of consummate gorgeousness. And um, Mick, LaSalle, Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle said the darkest hour was, quote, so good it made me feel grateful. Well, yeah, almost. But even A.O. Scott, the very cautious guy from the New York Times, suffused that the phantom thread, quote, awakens longings that are too often neglected. And that worried me a bit because I know during Phantom Thread, I, I began to long for a long nap, but that's another issue. I think you like that one better Ooh, than I Oh, I disagree. <clears throat> I sure did. I thought it was really uh, surprisingly, surprisingly funny and certainly the loudest movie I've ever been to in my life. I mean, the buttering of toast, the scraping <laughs> of a plate, I mean... Uh, you know, which was which was ratcheted up to just show the distaste that uh, that Daniel Day Lewis's uh, dressmaking character felt uh, about this young muse of his who began to grate on him. Uh, I gotta say, I thought it was pretty hilarious. And Darkest Hour, I mean, that was a pretty that was a that conflict, the whole idea of Churchill, this career politician. Uh, basically being the one guy to stand up and refuse to make a deal with Hitler, which would have changed history. I I, I gotta say, I I agree with that reviewer's uh, quote. Well, I don't agree with too many of the reviews I read. And and it's the old story that so many film goers beginning to look more to say Rotten Tomatoes or to CinemaScore to to, to get more of a broader assessment on the theory that they don't believe one critic, but maybe uh, maybe a consensus of critics. But that too is unreliable, especially if, if you like franchise pictures, the tentpole pictures. Because remember, like the Mummy got killed on Rotten Tomatoes, but audiences sort of liked it. They liked Tom Cruise muddling through all the convolutions. Oh, of I the disagree plot. with you completely. I don't think anyone liked the Mummy. I think the mummy couldn't decide whether it wanted to be a scary movie or an action adventure. 
Um, and what it became was a sort of a let's let's put Tom Cruise in action scenes. I think it was um, ill-conceived, I have to say. But when you were just talking about, uh, you know, uh, metrics and how irrelevant they are with these movies, I mean, you look no further than Bright. Netflix um, just uh, announced that they were in doing a sequel, which was which was the reason they made the movie in the first place. They wanted to be it to be their first franchise. And that movie got hammered on Rotten Tomatoes. I mean, a total splat. But um, but uh, according to Netflix, um, it was the top film in every market that they're in, about 190 countries. And uh, so for them, it was a, a towering success. Well, they also unfurled uh, Mudbound this year, which was an extraordinary picture. And I think could be a sleeper for many awards in this coming week or two well peter but one thing that you know this will be an interesting test for netflix because um they haven't really had much uh luck cracking the academy uh voting body and so will maybe mudbound will be the charmer um and, and they also have movies a lot of big ambitious movies coming up with the likes of paul greengrass directing and uh and Martin Scorsese directing and big stars. And, you know, so a movie like War Machine really didn't seem to make that much of a dent. But maybe Mudbound will sneak in. And once again, it's interesting to see how those critics handle them because, of course, Netflix pictures most of the time won't open in theaters. Mudbound did open. Uh, and 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 got some very nice receptions, and it certainly got a good reception for me. I thought it was terrific. But then our focus in the next few weeks is going to change totally, Mike, and then all of a sudden we're going to be seeing sequels to The Avengers, Jurassic World, even Deadpool, and, and I guarantee you the critics uh, immediately doze off as the uh, the big tentpole pictures come out. They disdain the, the very pictures that audiences have the most fun at. But this year, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not there's almost too much of the familiar. Almost so many of the movies will have numbers behind them, like Mission 6, Ocean's 8, uh, Incredibles 2, and of course, Deadpool's 2. And even the the pictures without numbers have sort of a familiar ring, the titles do, like Robin Hood, The Black Panther, Fantastic Beasts, or Fifty Shades of, of Freed. I think the, the Fifty Shades couple got married, I think. But the old story, mm. will pictures be too familiar this, this uh, spring and summer? Well, Fifty Shades is the, uh, is the conclusion of a novel trilogy, so... That has a built-in audience. That movie will be fine. I think where where some of these films got in trouble last summer was they were just they just were not that different from their predecessors. And so um, a lot of people didn't love, um, for instance, Justice League, which is sort of a continuation of uh, all the characters in the DC universe and Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Men Tell No Tales. At Transformers the last night and then you look at the mummy but I would want to add <clears throat> that uh, Justice League surpassed 700 million in worldwide uh, ticket sales pirate that pirate the last Pirates of the Caribbean did 792 million globally that last Transformers did 605 million worldwide and even the mummy the much maligned mummy grossed 409 million globally 
I mean, that is, um, there's your answer right there as to why Hollywood continues to make sequels. And every now and then, you see a flourish of imagination. I, I found, for instance, Thor Ragnarok to be a completely unexpected, exhilarating, just a, just a, 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 exactly the dictionary definition of what a popcorn movie should be. Well, again, I think Hollywood has to decide for whom is it making pictures? Because it's true that box office in this country, the consensus seems to be it was down about 2.4% last year. Worldwide, it was up about 3%. And of course, China was important uh, in that uptick. And the key, though, was that summer was disappointing in the U.S., and the reason it was it was disappointing was because of these very same kinds of pictures, the tentpole pictures. People seem to weary of them in this country. So Hollywood's going to have to decide: Does it want to focus on that overseas audience and assume that the United States every year is going to decline, or will there be uh, a reawakening of support for movies that are a little more innovative and a little more creative? What's your call? Forget it. I mean, the, you know, I think that, uh, that, that did, Hollywood doesn't have to make a decision. That was decided a long time ago. Now, these movies do 75% of their business overseas and 25% here in the U.S. So they are not making these movies for the U.S., and they're certainly not making them to please critics. They're looking at a global aggregate, and they're basically shoot, taking a big swing with, with big budgets and all kinds of visual effects, um, and and they're and that's what they're doing. And when they when they put enough focus on storytelling, sometimes they really hit it out of the park. I mean, they're all the all of the aspiration for all of these movies are one billion dollar grossing films, and you can do that with really with with a, just a reasonable. If you can do three hundred million here in the states. You can crack a billion dollars. So, um, again, I think that's your answer. That's why they're making these movies for the world. Well, but this is, again, focuses on the problem that if you added up the, the domestic gross of the last 10 winners of the best picture at the Academy Awards, you would probably equal the, um, the budget of the next Jurassic World. And so you've you've got two businesses that have really no relationship to, to each other. You've got that tentpole business worldwide, focused, as you correctly say, on the international business. But I would argue you have a very interesting opportunity, and even a business opportunity, certainly a creative opportunity, to make movies for for the U.S. audience, different sectors of it, the over 45 to 50, that group or arguably even women. I mean, I, I would suggest that the market for women's for pictures has been vastly underestimated. I mean, starting this year with Wonder Woman or, or, or Bad Moms. I mean, a number of, of movies that are just focused on women in the United States have performed really well this year. Is that a neglected market? You know, it's only a neglected market until somebody taps into it with a movie like for instance, last Vegas, everybody said, well, let's make, uh, let's make movies for the geezers. Um, you know, now girls trip was one that, 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 that hit pretty well. And, and now I think we'll see more movies that are, that are, that are made for women. 
uh, Wonder Woman, it used to, the adage used to be that, um, that the boys who come to the movies on opening weekend didn't really want to see uh, female uh, superhero empowerment stories. And I think that, um, that that turned a lot of heads, and it was a pretty good movie, too. So I don't know that there's that much hard and fast rules, but certainly if you, there are advantages to play into a niche. For instance, if you're making movies, um, let's say targeted to the urban marketplace. Well, you know, you can, your, your, your focus is narrow and your P&A costs will be lower than if you are making one of these gigantic tent poles and you have to spend a gazillion dollars in P&A. I mean, you can, you know who your audience is. A lot of that audience can be reached on social media. Um, there's a lot of enterprising ways to, uh, <clears throat> to, to focus on a certain audience segment and make a buck. But I think that's is what you just described is going to be an interesting conundrum. Um, if, if in fact Disney succeeds in buying Fox, what do they do with Fox Searchlight? I mean, you know, when up in Sundance at the, at the Sundance Film Festival in Park City, you know, the people who run Fox Searchlight, um, you know, Steve Galou and Nancy Utley, they, they, you know, they're, they're vaunted figures. I mean, they've, they've bought some great movies and marketed them to best picture success. But when you, when you compare it to what Disney does best, which is family entertainment and these global juggernauts, um, how much is that going to matter? I mean, it's going to be a very interesting uh, year for, for movies that, that are made where, you know, that are dependent upon um, glowing critics and, uh, and awards come Oscar season. Uh, it's, it's, I, I wonder how much they're going to be prized in the long term. Well, again, it points okay. out how different the two businesses are because there's one thing that the majors have learned is they don't know how to release an art movie or a, or a serious movie. They simply don't know how to do it. And that's where the Fox Searchlights and our friends Barker and Bernard at Sony Classics come in. They have mastered the craft and the economics of a whole different kind of, of film, and they do it superbly. This week's episode is brought to you by The Man Who Invented Christmas for your consideration in all categories, including Best Supporting Actor for Christopher Plummer. Forbes declares that Christopher Plummer brings so much gravitas to the role that he could well go down in film history as the definitive Scrooge. And the Chicago Sun-Times calls his performance sensational. Learn more about the man who invented Christmas at BleakerStreetGuilds.com. Now, Mike, how do you evaluate the movie pass deal, which for, for $9.95, you can see a movie every single day. Uh, and what, what interests me is that about a million people, they, as they, the movie pass people say, a million people have signed up in the last few months to participate in that deal. So the, the advantage of it, I, I, they say, and I think there's some validity to it, is if, if you buy uh, it, the cost in L.A. or New York of a, of a ticket is about $16.50. Although the theater chains, they claim that it's only nine bucks. Actually, it's about twice nine bucks. So movie pass, particularly among millennials, seem to have gotten some traction in getting a more bargain price to see films, which suggests there's still a big audience out there. How do you assess that experiment? Well, I would assess it if, if, I, if I went and bought a movie pass and I went down to my 
local multiplex here in Holtzville, and they and I showed them that card, and they laughed at me because basically um, I'm asking to see a movie every day for the price of just one movie. I probably wouldn't be all that happy about the movie pass. So I um, I need to know more. I, I don't see it advertised in my multiplex. I doubt they would accept the movie pass. So uh, that's a question. Um, you know, what good is a card if it if it doesn't get you into uh, if it doesn't get you a seat in your theater? But you see, that's because you live in the hinterlands of Long Island. Well, those of us who actually inhabit more civilized parts of the country, um, they're still they're beginning to honor those passes more widely. <laughs> but we shall see. But why? Is, but why? Why? What are they? Have you have you actually taken one of those passes and gone to one of those very busy uh, upscale multiplexes there in Hollywood and 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 tried to get away with it? I mean, to me, I think I'd probably have a better chance if I tried to sneak in the back door. <laughs> well, to me, I still use my um, delightful Academy card, which at this time of year, if you're a member of the Academy, the Motion Picture Academy, it's amazing how many pictures you can see without buying a ticket. Uh, so that's that's a more reliable product for me. Now, are you, now you're just, have you now you're just show, now you're just showing off. <laughs> So now, are you completely up to date on your on your uh, Oscar movies? Have you pretty well seen anything? And are you as confused as most voters as to what you should vote for? Well, I don't vote, so um, you know. And I liked uh, I liked a lot of these movies. Some of the ones that got great critical plaudits, I didn't quite get. But um, you know, it, 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 a wide open year is kind of fun. I mean. Uh, Look how it worked out last year with La La Land and uh, Moonlight. I mean, it went down to the wire, and I mean really down to the wire, um, you know, because of the fault of, uh, you know, a distracted accountant. And uh, isn't it interesting that, you know, it it, it sort of takes a a twist on what you were talking about uh, with all these sequels. I I feel like those are are basically, maybe there's too much of an influence of bean counters there. But um, I don't know. It's funny. You talk about tickets being sales being up, being slightly down. And, um, you know, I think when you look on a global level, it was a good year. And it always seems to come out in the wash. I'm a little more concerned, though, about the prospect of taking a major vibrant uh, studio like Fox off the board to basically um, facilitate uh, the ambitions of, uh, of Rupert Murdoch um, who will become the the single the single biggest uh, individual shareholder at Disney, and and Bob Iger, who basically now has put himself as a first ballot Hall of Famer as a, as a uh, as a movie executive, maybe the greatest movie executive of all time. But I don't think it's good for business in in Hollywood. I think it hurts competition. I think there's too much uh, power in this uh, in this entity, and I don't know that. Uh, that those small pictures that you were talking about um, are going to be prized quite as much if all these other studios feel like they they need to 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 you know have courtships and and get bigger and bigger. I find that it's the small pictures that uh, that lose out. Well, you're right, and of course the Disney focus is now and has been for some recent years. Uh, the Disney focus is on the big tentpole pictures. Uh, the four quadrant pictures, as they like to call them, that is what Disney's yeah, all about. They do them well. You know, 
one thing though, they Peter, that I have to say about Disney. They do them really well. I mean, the Marvel movies, it's spectacular to me that Kevin Feige has not really had a flop. And he's made so many of these and tried unlikely formulas like Ant-Man. Um, and he just keeps banging them out. Guardians of the Galaxy. I, I, first trailer I saw from that one, I thought, wow, he's finally going to hit the wall. And, uh, and, uh, and another Thor, who, who would even want to see it? And he still, he just finds a way to, to weave that magic. And people seem to like the Star Wars movies. So they manage these silos very well. And you go, you know, and their live action remakes of the, of the, of the 2D animated films. The kids love those things, and so they do what they do very well. And also, um, the the rate of firings among filmmakers on most Marvel and even Star Wars pictures is interesting, because these it reminds you that that these are corporate pictures rather than individual pictures. And it seems like on almost all of those recent films, um, the the director who started on them. Uh, ultimately got replaced and as as the corporate vision supplanted the individual one. Now, I can understand that. In my life at studios, I fired enough directors, but still in that vision of the individual filmmaker, uh, I would like to see come through more frequently on studio pictures, as indeed they do on independent pictures. It's one reason we mention Netflix a lot, but we should also congratulate Amazon those guys who come in with a very interesting uh, group of films this year that do reflect the visions of individual filmmakers and have supported them very generously. The Big Sick, which we have mentioned, I think has a real chance, even though it opened early in the year, to do really well um, in terms of, of nominations and even, and, and, and even winning a few awards. Um, I don't know. You know, I, 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 think, um, I think it's too far in the rearview mirror if it, if it had come out uh if it had come out um in in this period that we're in i think maybe i think uh being being fresh in people's minds will help a movie like uh all the money in the world and it might help a a, a worthy movie like hostiles which is um you know which really just opens uh this friday in a wider pattern um or i Tanya, which really gets its uh opening its big opening around the time of the winter olympics which makes a lot of uh sense i mean uh you know i i'm not i don't know if big, the big sick will uh will factor that much into the into the fray here but you never know that's what makes it fun i mean get out came that's out right. a long time ago and i do believe get out will be in the mix squarely because that's right. it's just such a such a singular accomplishment and at 4.5 million dollars and, and, and being made under a genre label, um, it's nothing short of extraordinary. And the interesting thing to remember, of course, is that the key awards coming up um, the, have very contrasting groups of voters. The, the Globes have under 100 from time to time journalists. Um, they, do, they do the voting. They monopolize the decisions. And then the, the Academy has added 1,500 new voters this year. So... Uh, a lot of them from around the world and m much more representation among women uh, and emphasis on diversity. So these constituencies are very hard to predict. We'll see who wins what, and um, we'll see you later at awards time, Mike. 
deal. It's a deal. Thank you.